everybody. Welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. Um, I don't have a stupid joke this week either, but that's okay. Um, with me is returning guest uh, John Harper, um, the man behind, well, the, the lead man behind uh, Blades in the Dark. Um, John, thank you again for joining with me, joining me and, and having a chat. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be back and to hear all about, uh, well, maybe not all about, that might be too much, but to hear to hear your impressions of Blades in the Dark, yes. I'm excited to hear. Cool. Look, um, I, I want to preface everything I say with the following. We had a damn good time being criminals. We're all very good at being criminals. We're all very different cr criminals. Um, I played a cutter. We had a spider. We had a leech, and we had a, um, the prowling guy. Shadow? Lurk. A lurk. Lurk, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. And look, we, we essentially, so originally, like, my younger brother had planned out, like, a mission where we were going to essentially take on Batman, and that was going to be fun. <laughs> uh -huh. Unfortunately, one of our people, Tyler, managed to say, oh, I'm going to be a noble and a version of Batman. So my younger brother essentially had us attacking the Burger Street Kings and the Subway Cannibals because <laughs> terrible yeah. jokes are in my DNA, apparently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was... Well, um... let me preface this by saying that uh, most people who know me know this, but, but uh, you and your listeners may not... Um... I spent most of my career as an art director in, in the uh, creative agency world. And so um, criticism is something that I uh, have no problem with and I'm open to hearing. I, I have a very, I don't have a fragile ego and I'm, I, I want to hear whatever you have to say about the game. You can't hurt my feelings. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, we, we can just talk frankly about, about the game. That's all good. Okay. Um, yeah, look, I look. We, we we did a really really lovely time. I think one of the one of the things that I think Ethan struggled with, and I'm going to be mean to him because you know he's not here and he's my littlest brother, so you know I <laughs> got full license. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think he struggled with the very very open ended improv nature of the whole thing, which isn't yeah. a criticism from me. Like I I look at that and I think okay, I can see a lot of strengths here. And Ethan because was the GM. Ethan was the GM. Yes, it was actually gotcha. his first time GMing too. So I think. Uh, okay. Cool. The dice were maybe slightly against him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think that was one of the things. Like, if you, what would be your advice to someone if they had to run this for the first time? Like, is there, like, I, I'm sure you told me this last time, but I'm kind of a twit. Um, is there like a good starting scenario you would recommend to someone? Because Ethan was like, you know, he just threw this together as a bit of a joke. And look, we had a lot of fun with it. But, but is there something you'd recommend people look at and say, look, here's a good starting one. Take this. Yeah. Like as a, as a complete new uh, referee or game master or facilitator or whatever for a role playing game. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's. This is a complicated question. Uh, there are simple answers that don't address why it's complicated, um, but it is, it is complicated, and Blades gives a lot of instructions to new GMs, uh, or to GMs in general, uh, new or old. Um, it expects you to do certain things, but if you've never done it before, it's a real mixed bag. Like I, I, I get feedback from people that say, this was my the first game I ever ran, and it was great because you told me all the stuff I needed to do, and I did it, and it worked great. And that someone could conclude from that that it's good for new GMs. But then you have another person that says, oh my god, there was so much stuff to read and mem remember, and it was overwhelming, and I just couldn't keep it all in my head, and it was so hard to run, and I stumbled all the time, and it felt frustrating. And you could conclude that it's a bad game for new GMs, but neither of those are really true, per se. It depends on how you approach it and your own kind of mentality and and what you uh, what you enjoy. But I think in general, 
a safe way to go is to start with less complicated things uh, and move towards the more complicated things as you go. The trade-off there, though, often is that games that look very simple on the surface sometimes have a lot of unspoken assumptions and, and systems and techniques that they're not telling you. And so that can be an issue, even though it's less overwhelming when you read it. And then the trade-off with the thing that tries to explicate everything in detail, it looks more complicated and it seems like a lot of information to understand. But at the same time, it's giving you all these tools that the simple games are kind of omitting. So somewhere between those spaces is the ideal game for a new GM. <laughs> and there is no one game to recommend, but... Uh, yeah, like, I mean, on, on that subject of simple games can be very weird and complicated like if you look at say honey heist um mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. a game i love and i mm -hmm. played it recently with a professional dm group thing and stupid shenanigans were had it was <laughs> it was awesome but mm -hmm. i also can see that this is a game that can go very badly with people that have never played a role play game before yeah. because it's kind of like it's kind of like, say, starting a game in Minecraft, like old Minecraft, before it told you how to make anything. It's like, yes. here's the universe. Off you 100%. go. 100%. Yep, 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 yep. It's exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, um, so so there's a, do you have... There's a lot of words oh, in Blades in the Dark that, that were written about this that, that say, um, this is a learning process. Running and playing role-playing games is a complicated endeavor. Give yourself forgiveness. Don't try to do everything out of the gate. Start slow. Build over time. Learn from your mistakes. Ask the players to help you. You know, it has a bunch of advice about how to start slowly and build on your successes. Take things piece by piece. But typically, I don't. I rarely see that in the in the real world. Typically, people ignore that advice. They dump in the deep end they try to do everything they want their first game to be the best one ever and um i know that that's a little unrealistic to, to try to do and so i tried to write a lot of text in the book to say don't like don't do that it's okay for your first few games to be rough and for the group as a whole to like gel and it maybe their sixth session is the one that like really starts to click like that's okay um but it's one thing to say that, and it's different to go to your first game night clutching the book to your chest and feeling super nervous and you want everything to be awesome. Like, that's a that's a very reasonable place to, to be and to, an emotion to feel. And no amount of text in a book is going to magically make you okay with fucking up five sessions of a role-playing game. Um, but that's generally my feeling. Like, any whatever game you start with, your sixth session is going to be way better. Your 20th one is going to be way better. And your 100th is going to be way better. And there's, it's hard to say that you're just going to shortcut that process and it's going to like be amazing out of the gate. I think there's a, one caveat, I would say, which is games that don't have a single game master are in a little bit of a different place. They're, they're less uh, punchy in some ways but they also don't put someone in that chair that has to be the person who's the host or whatever. So mm -hmm. Fiasco, The King is Dead, you know, games like that 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 don't have a singular GM's microscope. Um, there are so many. <laughs> it's, I don't know why I bother to name three. There are like hundreds, but um, that isn't good first experience for a lot of people, I think, to show up to a game it's kind of like playing a board game with your friends. You're not there to be the person who's responsible for what happens. You're just playing with it along with everyone else. So all the role-playing games that sort of touch that space, that don't have a dedicated facilitator, are automatically less troublesome for an individual. They can be challenging for the group, but if you play, I don't know, you know, I, I, I haven't, this is not my own path, so this is just hypothetical for me, but... Um, I can imagine playing four sessions of The King is Dead and then feeling confident to be a GM in another game because you've kind of developed these skills of framing scenes and creating uh, pressure 
for a character and like doing those things that GMs typically do. But that path into the hobby is pretty rare, I think. I think most people come into the hobby and someone goes, okay, Dungeon Master, what do we? What happens now? What's what's around the next corner? And they have to go, oh, fuck, I don't know, ah, uh, shit. Um, yeah, the, the whole that, that's sexy the goblin joke. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, I feel like that's a legacy problem. I think there are a lot of new games in the hobby that address that and try to help those players do that. I would say Agon 2nd Edition is, is one of those games. Sean and I definitely tried really hard to create a space for GMs that is less intimidating than a traditional RPG, but it's it's still it's it doesn't reduce it to zero. You're still in the hot seat to some degree. There's that little yeah. bit of friction there. Yeah, um, I mean, I I would certainly agree. Like, I mean, I've done a lot of um, you know, I've I've run a lot of fifth head, and mm. because I know that I've run a lot of fifth head, it's like, look, for me, picking up something like um, Blades in the Dark, I would go and think, okay cool in some ways it's kind of like having a walking stick and then suddenly that walking stick's gone because i try and find like okay where the you know i was, I was flicking through i'm like all right where are the stats for like a city guard or a bandit or something <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. i don't see them in here yeah and they don't kind of like <laughs> that should be there but it isn't yeah. there moment yeah and then realizing, well, this is down to me to decide. Yeah. In conjunction with my players. Like, yes. this is not just, okay, there's a couple of numbers here. Okay, roll dice. All right, you, you did him such an... You, know, you did that person a certain amount of damage. Okay, now it's their turn. It's more, okay, here is what you're trying to do. Here is what your person is capable of here's what the dice are, okay, let's construct a narrative around this. Yeah. And I can see yeah, yeah. it's very, very different. And if you'd only play 5th edition D&D &D without going into more interesting parts of the hobby, I can see why that would kind of feel like you haven't quite put your trousers on right. Like something feels yeah. slightly off, but it shouldn't. Yeah. It just should feel good in a different way. I think that's a that's a that's a good way to put it. It's it. I mean, it's sort of like uh, snowboarding, and then someone you you go skateboarding. Like it's they're, they're similar, but you're gonna have you're gonna struggle because it's just not quite the same thing. And with something like blades, I honestly I think uh, GMing any role playing game is a challenge, and uh, I don't want to minimize that and say that it's easy, but compared to almost all traditional mainstream role-playing games, GMing Blades is vastly easier than, than those other games because the, the, the to, to me, it's like it's flipped backwards. Like being a player in Blades is way more work than being a player in D&D 5th Edition. Like it, it's very possible that the GM is just going to look at you and be like, so uh, what is tonight's session about, player? Like that's gonna, that could potentially be on your shoulders to figure out. And you're probably not going to have to do that when you play D&D. The player's responsibility is way smaller, and it kind of flips. Um, so depending on where you're coming from, you can have different experiences of what's hard and what's easy. And I've, I've heard from plenty of players that, are, that don't want the Blades or, or the indie RPG experience in general because when they come to the table, they want to sit, they want to drink a beer, eat snacks, and every 20 minutes the GM looks at them and goes, roll to hit, and they roll to hit, and, like, that's they that's what they want to do, and if the game switches to, like, what do you care about? What do you do now? How do you answer your lover's demands? And they're just like, whoa, whoa, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, there, there's a whole spectrum there, and I think, in general, the Blades GM responsibilities are, are fairly minimal, but they're not they're not easy they're just they're just fewer of them um, and and then correspondingly the players responsibilities are bigger than you know playing a fighter in the D, &D party you have you have more on your plate hmm. no and I, and I think it's I think it's a cool approach in that you can have like 
Okay, so one thing I love about a good session is when people are invested. And this gets people invested, like, when you're writing your character sheet, which which is great. Mm-hmm. It's like, who's your friend? Well, okay, so in, in, in my case, like, you know, my, my friend was a guy called Marlene, who was my old sergeant in the Duskfall commune, sorry, the free Duskfall commune militia. And my enemy yeah. was Sawtooth, who was a... Um, a, a surgeon who I found cutting up a friend of mine for parts and it's like holy shit this is like this is good like this is like I haven't done anything and I've already got a cool story ready to go it's a bold choice too as a cutter like you're gonna get hurt and you've decided that the person who can heal you is your enemy like that's that's mm, that's good that's good stuff thank you it's (laughs) great it I don't know it just when I was putting him together, like, I kind of, I guess, had a bit of a look at Arthur from Peaky Blinders and, like, yeah, kind of looked yeah, at yeah. that World War One um, shit-kicker experience where it's like, well, yeah. you know, he, he actually came to Duskfall from, I don't remember the name of the country, it's in my notebook, um, the one that got in trouble for something. Scovelin, Scovelin, yeah. Yes, thank you, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yep. And... Like, he and a bunch of other Scovelanders, like, tried to start up, like, an independent block of, uh, within Duskfall, tried to kick the Bluecoats out, and it did not end yeah. well. And it just kind of made yeah. sense that a doctor, like, this surgeon, would sell people for bits. Like, it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it was just mm-hmm. the most interesting story that left out of me. I was like, <gasps> and just It's so good. Started. It's so good. Thank you. It, it was, but I see what you mean when you say... This takes a lot of investment on the player's side. Yes. Because that's more work than I've done when putting together any of my D&D characters when starting a campaign. Yeah. Like, you know, my Tabaxi Rogue. It's like, yeah, he's he's a good, happy, reasonably happy cat boy. Um, you know, he considers himself an absolute professional, very on the job, very serious but I don't know really that much more about him. But Arthur stepped fully formed into something really cool. Yeah, so, and both of those yeah. approaches are totally fine and good in role playing. Like, there's no, one of those isn't better than the other one. Uh, I, I Agon is Sean and I just made this game uh, about Greek heroes and stuff, which it doesn't ask you to have deep, interesting characters when you start. They're very flat and, and shallow, and you build them over time. That's that's perfectly valid. Um, but it's about gameable bits, right? Like, if you, your Tabaxi Rogue, you could have written uh, two pages of backstory about a surgeon that you were enemies with, but it wouldn't be gameable, really. Like, it wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it to come up in the sessions that you were playing. You would expect to go to a dungeon and fight monsters or follow the GM's plot thread or whatever, And, and writing that backstory is fun to do, but depending on the game group, some D&D groups are definitely going to make it super gameable, but in general, that's not going to be the 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 grist for the mill, so to speak. And mm-hmm. in Blades, when you do that, when you say, like, this Physiker is my enemy, uh, like, that's... the th- in, in Session 1, like, it's very likely that that's going to be a thing that happens <laughs> with your character. Like, it's, it, it's, it it's a thing up, yeah. that... Yeah, it's actually part of the gameplay. It's not sort of this backdrop. And again, I want to reiterate, like, it's not better for it to be a back or a backdrop or worse to be a backdrop. Those are just two. Those are just different ways of playing role-playing games. Um, but it 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 means that you have to adjust and you have to find your footing if you've played a game where that stuff is kind of background and doesn't really matter, and we still go on the mission that the Baron hired us for. Um, but in Blades, like, the GM might look at you and be like, what do you care about right now? What's the crew trying to do? And they go, well, we're smugglers, so we want to do this. And you go, whoa, 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 hang on. I need you, all of you have my back. I, we need to go fuck up this dude. This guy betrayed me in the war. Like, come on. Mm. And, you know, like, that can be yeah. what the session is about if you want it to be. Uh, it there, gives there you that space. There, there was an excellent moment of confrontation between my cutter and that surgeon who was, like, part of a... Duskfall Bluecoat CSI mm. team, mm-hmm. and he threatened. I my my Arthur essentially threatened to cath him with a longshoreman's hook 
which um, oh god (laughs) i failed my intimidation role and i have questions (laughs) honestly that's an intimidating sentence (laughs) yeah it is it's really dark complete with one liner of kath my drift um oh my god yeah, I think I should have had advantage for that, but even said. But no. see, like that's a good example of your brother like bringing it as the GM, like yeah, you did. having you that did a great character job. be connected to the blue coats, be part of this CSI thing. That's that's what you should be doing. That's that is good yeah. blades GMing. That's that's great. That's great. See, Ethan, John just said, good <laughs> blades GMing. Good for you. It, I know. I know it feels uh, stressful, but like you, that was great. You did the right thing. That was perfect. Yeah. Um. Is there, say, like a one-shot scenario or like like a, a tightly written one-shot for Blades that you would say, download it from here, or it's in the book, Josh, you just missed it because you didn't read the whole thing cover to cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's both Is there of those, one actually. that you'd say, uh, okay, yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to be fair to you, like the there isn't a one-shot in the book. There, There's, there's a scenario in the book, but I, I wouldn't call it a one-shot. Um, there's a starting scenario where... The Lamplex and the Red Sashes are at war. Uh, the gang, the crows that used to mediate their um, blood feud, uh, the leader of that gang has died. And so now the Lamplex and the Red Sashes are back at war and are, are trying to wipe each other out. So the crows want peace. The Lamplex want to murder the, the Red Sashes. The Red Sashes want to murder the Lamplex. Uh, and you start out in the office of the leader of the Lamplex, uh, Bajo Baz, the leader of that of that gang and he's like hey i know i can count on you right you're you're either with us or against us in this war what's it going to be and you have to say something to him uh and that kicks off that that story in that situation it's more than one session but it's a it's a way of positioning the crew so they're either fighting on behalf of the lamplacks in this war or they're not and now they're enemies and they take a different side or they just peace out and go somewhere else and like try to <laughs> extricate themselves um that's within the book but aside from that uh if you go to seannittner.com slash blades in the dark i think is the subfolder it might just be blades uh sean has written four ish one page one shots for blades that are just a single piece of paper that's like um you can get these from bladesandark.com also uh they're cool. like starter scenarios single uh session scenarios and the gm gets questions to ask the players like this session is about uh pulling off this score so why uh why is this uh patron your enemy uh who among you cares the most about the artifact and you, and you answer these questions to, like, set it up, and then you do the job. So there's, like, a bunch of different jobs that comprise these one-shots. Um, okay. That sounds really it's cool. A, it's, a good, it's a good intro to Blades. Um, it's something that isn't in the book because I didn't and still kind of don't believe that it's a good one-shot game. I don't think the game works well as a one-shot, so I didn't want to kind of promote it as a one-shot. But Sean's one shots are great, so I was I was kind of wrong about that. Uh, but um, that's one way to go. And he has another great uh, uh, PDF on the Blades website in the supplements thing called uh, Broken Spire, where if you want to play like extreme Blades in the Dark, you play a tier five, uh, really powerful entity like a a family or a faction or a cult or whatever that's like super powerful and has spent generations building up all this power to assassinate the immortal emperor and you play a one shot where you do you try to do that you try to kill the immortal emperor in this ocean's 11 style showdown (laughs) uh it's really fun (laughs) it's way over the top but we may have to return to the world of duskfall for that (laughs) (laughs) i've i have run it uh i ran it for the group of players that created the setting for blades in the dark years ago Hmm. and uh it was so fun to have them come back and reprise their roles my friend keith uh created the immortal emperor way back in the day and he got to play him in this one shot and like be the villain and it was it was really good 
that sounds really cool. It was great. Actually, that yeah. would be really interesting to have, like, I guess, like, not quite, um, like, like, like kind of, I guess, competitive Blades in the Dark where you may have, like, two groups mm-hmm. running at the same time, each after a score. Now, mm-hmm. I can also see that being a tremendous headache. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it would be cool to have, say, like, you know, that thing that you've just described, but someone's playing the immortal emperor and say the captain of his guard and his chancellor of the exchequer and occasionally yeah. you just take one of them out yeah for no reason it's almost a code and then just bring them me? back and so the emperor doesn't know like okay is this person now under the control of enemies like that is a hundred percent a thing that happened in that session so you are like exactly on the right wavelength like that literally right. happened in the session uh and yeah, it was Keith and I. Keith was playing the Immortal Emperor, but in the, in another way, we were just co-GMing the session. Because mm. when I needed to know a thing about the Emperor, I would be like, hey, Keith, like, what, what about this? And when he needed to know a thing about the world to do something, he'd be like, what, John, what about this? But we were definitely like a team, you know, in that, in that scenario. So it felt great. And uh, I think... Blades in general has that space where it's so it's so uh, structured. There's a score and downtime, score, downtime, score, downtime. So it's totally fine when you start to, for everyone to make a scoundrel, uh, embody the crew, figure out their deal, someone GMs the first score. And then after that, shifting who's running the next score is not super troublesome. It's not like someone has a... 14 session plot arc planned and you don't want to mess up their thing like they can just run one score and then be like okay cool now i'm gonna play my scoundrel who wants to be the gm now and someone's like i'll do it and you just shift and you play the next score i play my scoundrel you're gming it it's easy it it, it's not like extremely easy to do that but it's easier than a game where you expect to play dozens of sessions under one person's kind of authorship uh it's just kind of a one-at-a-time um, mentality. That is also very cool for those of us who like the forever... <clears throat> sorry. The forever GMs of every group <laughs> yeah. they're in. Where it's like ha- having a world that's... Fle- sorry, world, game, table, campaign, etc., etc., that's flexible mm-hmm. enough and modular enough that it's like, okay, oh, look, it's our old friend, um, Stabby McAngryface. He's back. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> And, you know, that means the GM can have, like, a few nights off to kind of just, like, yeah. recharge. And then yeah. just, like, you know, burn down a couple of streets or something. There's a really fun thing. Some players hate this, so this is not, like, a universal thing at all. But um, before I, I wrote Blades, I ran a few games where uh, I was the perennial GM, and there were three players, and they all played very iconic characters over you know, five or six sessions. They really cemented these 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 people. Uh, and it was so extreme that we had it we were at the bar one time and talking about it and I was like, I think anyone I think any of you could play each other's characters now. Like they're so we just know them so well. And Chris was like, oh, yeah, I could play Abdul. That I could easily play Abdul. And, and Pat was like, oh, oh, you think, okay, fine, I'll play your character. And they all they all swapped. And we played a session where they just handed their character sheets to the left, essentially. And it was perfect, and everyone just nailed it because those characters were so established. Mm-hmm. And once we got that to that point, I was like, well, I want in on this, so I'm just going to take my like imaginary GM character sheet and pass it to you, and I'll take this one, and now you're the GM, and now I'm playing Abdul, and now, you know... Uh, and it was super fun and that's the kind of thing that's a little bit taboo in role playing like this is my character nobody gets them no no don't no don't touch them but it was almost the reverse like Pat did such a good job of establishing Abdul the knife fighter that anyone could play him because he he was Mm. we all knew him so well it was just like uh, it was a celebration of who he was you know yeah that's very cool yeah and that's something you can do in Blades and in any RPG for that matter. But I think the linchpin of that is no one person has a plan that reaches too far in the future. If they, mm-hmm. if somebody has a plan that's four sessions 
10 sessions or whatever from now, then that kind of disruption is really hard to deal with. Um, can, can I ask, um, when you're playing your friend's character, um, does your friend give that character a different voice? Uh, kind of. It's, it's almost like... Hmm. Because, like, Arthur had a voice. He kind of sounded like a very bad impersonation. Yeah. Of, of Paul Anderson. <laughs> like, I can't do it. And I, and I know that. Yeah, no, no, no. I know what you mean. Totally. Uh, I think it, it varied a lot. Like, some, some of the people didn't do voices at all. So they didn't... Even though uh, someone did a voice with that character when it got passed... The other person didn't because they don't do voices. You know, it was oh, that okay. kind of thing. Because okay. um, I was going to ask, how good was your impersonation of your friend's voice when you were playing that character? It's funny because until you said that, like, in my memory, I remember everyone, when I think of what happened, I think I think of Abdul saying those things. I don't, I don't necessarily think about the person who was playing them and what they did. I, I remember that character saying something in, in my mind's eye. So, I don't know. That's sort of, that's an interesting question. Um, but that varies hugely. Like I, I, generally in my game groups, there's a huge range there where somebody is like changing their posture and doing a voice and like what have it, just like fully in in it. And then someone else is like, uh, my character confesses their love to you and says nice things, you know, and th and they play it that way, and it's just like very flat. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. It, I I'm, can't... I'm just now waiting for the future on the neutral character. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tell the blue coats I said hi. <laughs> Tell my wife I said hello. Yeah. Uh... Actually, you know, there's a, a video on YouTube of um, the neutral guy saying, I have no strong feelings either way. And <laughs> no matter if you like or dislike, it will balance itself. <laughs> and I love the fact that someone has gone to some level of behind the scenes shenanigans That's to make beautiful. that happen. It makes That's me happy. That's very beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, we did have a couple of questions. Um, yes. Th this one is from Ethan. Um, I'm not going to ask it the way Ethan asked it because it got very obnoxious. Um, but that's how my brother is. Um, uh, ask it. Yeah, I'm fine with that, but do, do what you want. J John, um, what does a blood dealer do? Because we thought of several things a blood dealer yeah. might do. Yeah. Like we thought, okay, like, you know, do they cater to vampires? Do they buy mm -hmm. blood and like use it to power the Dusk Bowl generators? Right. Um, and we thought, you know, either of these responses could be pretty, like, valid. And I was also yep. kind of seeing it as also a, um, um, like, a, th a thing where, say, like, it could be, like, the sawtooth that I mentioned, like, you know, someone a, who sells a, uh, like bits a writing of people. Prompt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what it is. It's a writing prompt. You you are given blood dealers, so you now you have to finish that sentence essentially that's right. um, but if you've come from games where blood dealer is a piece of jargon that you look up in the index and then go to the blood dealer section and read how blood dealers work that creates a certain expectation mm -hmm. when that doesn't when it's not there when you don't have that experience it's just a blank it's a two-word thing with nothing else um you have a different experience and I, this happens all the time. Um, even like people that I know, my friends that know me and, and play my games all the time. And I, I get tweets from them that are like, what about these weird trees in this park in the thing you said? Like, how do those work? You know, uh, and that's a perfectly normal reaction to have. But I feel like the the meat and potatoes, the bones of what Blades in the Dark is, is a set of um, tools and prompts for the playgroup to make stuff out of those things. And whenever you run into a place where 
there's a prompt and there's no answer, I I don't have the answer to that thing. I can't I can't tell you what a I like. If I ran four games of Blades in the Dark with Blood Dealers, there would be four different uh, Blood Dealers probably. Um, hmm. That it it exists to be a tool for the group to do a thing. <clears throat> and that sounds like a cop out. Like John, why don't you just tell us what a fucking blood dealer is? Why why be vague about it? No, but um, I I understand. Like, but I, all those things I just said, you could have just looked at me and just said, <laughs> yes, yeah, all of those are good. <laughs> like, and, yeah, yeah, fine, okay, cool. And um, I understand. I understand the quandary, right? Because like some things in the game are specific and they do have specific meanings. And you want to honor them because you feel like someone put effort into it and it's probably there for a reason. And this other thing, maybe I should treat it that way too. Maybe I should treat it like, well, they did this for a reason. I don't want to fuck it up because it, maybe it's like important. And telling the difference between those two things isn't always super easy. So I, I don't want to be super flippant about this and be like, oh, why didn't you know what I, what I meant? Um, it's not quite like that, but... There are a lot of spaces there. You know, Sawtooth, a physiker, it, that's all it says about your contact. There's nothing else in the book about that person. It doesn't tell you, like, how tall they are, what they look like, or anything. That's all it says. And so we have to create Sawtooth as a person in the game. And we also have to do that for, for blood dealers. Um, it's an act of creation that isn't safe or easy but it's something the game expects from you and um, you can meet the game where it is and where, what it wants or, or approach it some other way. But that's kind of the baseline thing. It's, uh, it's a space for you to deploy that thing in your game the way you want to deploy it. And honestly, at the same time, like, if I want to be super flippant, like, it is what it says. It's a person, he's a drug dealer, but deals in blood. So, like, you know, do that. <laughs> no, 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 I, 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 here's the thing, like, the more I, I, I guess I see, like, the way that you, like, your thought process, the, the more I kind of warm to this approach. Like, like you said, like, this can present challenges if you don't come into this with the right mental headspace. It's not easy, I, I would say, but it's yeah, not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, It's like, you know, look, The Lost Minds of Fandelva is great, but, yeah. you know, because it, it tells you everything you need. Like, you've got the maps, you've got the tokens, you've got the story, you've got this, you've got that, you've got the DC for this, you've got this and that, and this is great. But... You're, you're following someone players, else's lead in that case. Yeah, yeah, but also... Yeah. I imagine a very a reasonably decent DM could change that from being okay. It's all about you know what Lost Minds is about, and change it to okay. Well, there's like a massive goblin insurrection coming up, and you've got to do something about it. Or right, 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 right. you know you could you could go completely off book and bring yeah. in giants, and yeah. that'd be fun. But it would be a very different experience, and it's a very different mindset to that which says, this is this, here's your adventure, it's in a lovely little box. And what you're doing is saying, hey, uh, here's a couple of bits and pieces. Okay, it's the difference between, I've got it now, wonderful. It's the difference between handing someone a bucket of Lego <laughs> with instructions and without instructions. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, like, it's like I know how Lego goes together. Yeah, it. I to me the blood dealer thing is like having a box of Legos, and instead of having the finished piece of the biplane on the cover, it says blood dealer. And like use the Legos to make that. And like, what is that? I don't like. I've given you pieces and I've pointed you in a direction, but I haven't. Or may maybe the cover is like a painting of a, a crimson sky with lightning and, a, and you know, it, maybe it's more evocative or whatever. But mm. like, 
there's you, you've been given something to aim for and you've been giving a set given a set of of blocks but between point a and point b you are now the author of that thing you're not the reader of it you're the author of it uh and that's mm. that's a different job as a player and and a gm now um i do quickly want to cover um you've got a game coming out very very soon which sounds really interesting and john tell me about Aegon, because i read a little bit about the first edition and i think in the kickstarter notes it said the difference is that this is going to be a bit more cooperative a bit more collaborative but it's a it's an almost gmless game Mm. not exactly but i mean in 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 spirit in that sense but there there is um so agon is a game where you play mythic heroes uh, in the uh, style of the Odyssey or the Iliad, uh, the old Sinbad movies, Xena, the Warrior Princess, those those, those type of things, um, the Fast and the Furious. Um, you you play these epic heroes um, doing improbable uh, stunts to defeat their enemies, um, and you're on a boat lost at sea like Odysseus, and you travel from island to island, and each island is a place ruled by strife and by quelling the strife of an island you win the favor of the gods and by winning enough favor of the gods they may uh light your way home in the constellations of the sky and you may return to your families uh someday that's sort of the general shape of the game um so we decided that we wanted everyone in the game to be a player and our our cheeky gm name uh is the strife player the person who plays the strife of each island and the hero players are the people who play the heroes uh but there isn't a game master or referee because the strife player's job is very specific and constrained and kind of small uh you don't necessarily like paint the world or have full control over everything in the way gms do in a lot of games you have this very narrow way of interacting with the game that is both uh constrained so that the game functions the way it's supposed to and also so that if you're a first time gm so to speak you only have a couple things you need to do it's very very small it's a very small set of jobs that you have to achieve and we pre-write all 12 islands that the heroes might visit so you don't have to even make up islands or characters or anything you can just read the text out of the book to the to the hero players if you want to uh and then the strife player has to do three jobs you have to ask questions of the heroes uh you have to reveal the secrets of the island which are given to you and you have to judge contests so you ask reveal and judge that's all you do as the gm so to speak and yeah like you said like it can be very jamless there in the blades sense like everyone can make a hero and then i'll be the strife player for the first island you'll be the strife player for the second island and we'll just sort of like rotate around and as we've played it more and more uh it's very possible to both to play a hero and a strife the strife player in the same session even like that's not a huge problem to it's not a big conflict of interest because you don't have free reign as the strike player to just say whatever you want and your hero player doesn't have free reign either so it's okay to do both it's not recommended necessarily but it's okay um so yeah you you play you play uh through these various islands of strife and hope your characters find their way home um and you get to make all these decisions about what your values are what are you willing to sacrifice uh, to achieve your goals, what matters to you, what are your true values? You you actually track your values throughout the game um, on a on a tally board, uh, and at the end of your journey, you judge your your heroes based on these values and their the strength of your name. Your character's name grows over time and becomes uh, legendary, hopefully. So yeah, it's Agon is uh, the first edition was a was in uh, two thousand six. I think <laughs> um, maybe a little before that uh, it was a very competitive um, kind of battle 
the tabletop game. Um, and the new edition is not not like that at all. It's it's a game of uh, character expression. You want to bring your character to the, to the game, and then with every contest, you uh, suffer or or overcome. Uh, you sacrifice or you don't. You uh, express you know what you're willing to do or what you're not willing to do. It's it's a it's a game of starting with extremely shallow heroes and then playing to find out who they are and what they care about and why and all those things happen as you play the game. Hmm. And, and you do, of course, cover their origin so people know why they yeah. are gone. Um, so, uh, <laughs> That's right. Exactly. I was expecting for you to go, right, bye, Josh. <laughs> um, all um, now... Uh, Jacob did have. I mean, to to me, this sounds cool. Like I like I like the idea of the rotating GM. I like the idea of the collaborative story approach, and I like the idea of a world that you world and characters that you flesh out as you go. Like that's yeah. some really cool stuff. Now, Jacob um, has a cool question, which is, do you think using something like the Strife Player in Agon um, helps to remove the pressure of running a game and encourages players to act in place of a game master, keep a etc um when they may feel overwhelmed at the thought of running a game and and to me this actually sounds like a great like system for people to practice getting used to that whole thing of running a game because yeah. like well look you don't have to do a lot yeah. and at some point you can go back to playing yeah yay that was one of our big goals actually going into it was to give like for experienced game masters we give you a structure for the island that could be non-linear and interpretive and you know a, a skeleton for you to write your own brilliant thing on if you've done it a million times but if you are the first time strife player you can literally read it out loud to the players and it, it is written in such a way so that that's you can just do that you can read the pages and it has questions with question marks at the end and you look at them and they tell you their answers and then you go to the next thing um there was a review posted just today actually of the game where someone said uh ian from giant brain uh his review is fantastic of this game but he said it it did remind him of a choose your own adventure because the person running it really leaned into these sort of sort of binary things that the islands all give you like you're on this island and Thessakira, the pirate queen, has run away with the pillar of storms that protects the island, and the harpies are going to descend on the people and slaughter them. Do you chase her to get the pillar, or do you protect the people from the harpies? What do you do? Like that—that's how a lot of the islands are structured. Hmm. Uh, and as an experienced GM, you might like change it up and you know bring in all your skills as a as a game master and like do whatever. But you can also just read it and be like which of these things do you care about and put that in front of the heroes and they just have to make a choice or the core one of the core ideas of the game is there's always the third way like the, you have these two options and then if someone's like no, no 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 we're not doing that we're doing the third way we're doing this other thing we're going to disguise ourselves as harpies and you know right and you go down that path it's the it's the odysseus uh, sort of method and that's fun too and that works because you have two obvious choices. And so the stealthy subterfuge thing that a player comes up with that isn't pre-written makes them feel clever and all of that stuff. So it's built in to facilitate that. But as the GM, you don't have to care about that. You don't have to build that in your mind and like think about possible outcomes and all this stuff. You just go, which of these do you do? And then you resolve it and you go to the next one. Okay, now, which, now what do you do? That was our main okay. goal. Was and does it have a lot of replayability in there, or for the islands, kind of like I on the face of it, I would say no, because it's the same island again. If you go, if you play it again with a different group and you, they went back to that same island, you would know what it was about. But I've played as a player and run one of our islands uh, in particular. I think I've done it nine times now. 
uh, as GM and player uh, split mm. in some way, and I would still play it again. So there's that. There is a kind of replayability, and part of that is each island has a section called mysteries, and it says, "Why do the harpies attack this island? Is it because I don't want to spoil anything? Is it because blah blah blah?" Yeah, is it because uh, this or this or like, this? There's various reasons why they're attacking the island. Like, I don't know. Well, let's decide that. Why is Hera angry? Is it because of this thing this person did? Is it because of this? Or Zeus. So, yeah. <laughs> that kind of goes without saying. Um, Zeus got into something or someone he shouldn't have. and that's... That is 100% what happened on that island. But, but yeah, there, there's a space there to say, hey, GM, like, look at these questions and like think about answers to these as the players play through stuff, the conflicts are going to be there, the friction is going to be there, but when the players dig deeper, if they do, which they don't always do, but they might, and they go, well, wait a minute, maybe the harpies have a point. Maybe there's a maybe they should be attacking this island. What's going on here? There's a section that says, hey, strife player, think about these things. Why are they doing this? Is it because of this? Who, who could stop them? Is, it because, is, is this a way to stop them? So even if you've played it before, you're, you can't be 100% sure that this time the Harpies are attacking because of this thing that you knew about before. It's the G, it's up to the Strife player to like customize it and change it. So hmm. Overall, I would say Agon is not... It's not a game where you replay Islands over and over. You play a campaign and you put it away you play something else after that it's it's supposed to be very light and breezy and easy to play but okay. in my personal experience because i've had to play the game a lot as the author i have played the same island a bunch and it was it worked great so uh cool yeah yeah i think it's like you could play lost minds like mm -hmm. if you're with mm -hmm. different people mm -hmm. and you know if, if a good gm knows that you played it they'd throw a couple of curveballs in there and whatnot, just keep you on your toes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played Keep on the Borderlands like eight times. I played Lady Blackbird like 20 times. Like there's, yeah, you, you, you can totally do it. It's not made for that, but but you can you can totally do it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Now, um, John, unfortunately, we are coming to the end of what we can, the, the amount of time I can talk to you for and not feel guilty for having taken you away from <laughs> much more important things. Um, now we always do end with the same question, um, which is John, how are you making sure you're taking care of you at the moment? Cause, um, yeah. I really appreciate that question. Uh, things are, things are really bad in the world and, um, as creatives, you know, if, if, if you do creative work for your profession, um, probably at some point early on, you had to deal with this idea that you have to do work, uh, whether or not you want to do it. <laughs> and in general with creative work, you know, you like, I, I'm inspired. I want to make a thing. And, and then when you start doing it for money, you realize, oh, I have to do it when I don't want to. And when I'm not inspired and like that, that creates a whole different dynamic. Um, and we're we're solidly in that space right now. I haven't wanted to make anything for months now, but I I'm still doing it uh, because I fortunately had a long career where I sort of developed those skills. But those skills are hard to develop, and I think everyone doing creative work right now should take a step back and be very kind to themselves and forgive themselves and not not. Uh, not uh you know punish themselves for a lack of productivity or creativity or finishing the thing or whatever it is like i think right now it's way more important to develop the skills of self uh reflection and um just generally thinking of yourself like treating yourself the way you would treat your loved ones you know like tr just like trying to get into that mindset where you, you it's okay and you're not a failure and you're not fucking up like 
shit is really really bad and there's a good reason why it's hard to do stuff and it's hard to be productive and it's hard to finish things um it's not on your shoulders to magically rise above that stuff uh but at the same time it's kind of like a crucible so you can think of it both ways you know it's it's an opportunity to grow and learn to learn skills under adversity is is a powerful thing as well so both of those are true but i think in general people over overly um indict themselves and so i think my my message in general to the listening audience would be to go the other way like be extremely kind to yourself be extremely forgiving to yourself don't don't worry about um stuff that in the creative space like do what you got to do to pay your bills and live in the world but like um don't uh don't don't pretend like everything's normal and you the failure point is you that's not what's happening right now so uh it really ain't it really ain't and and i think we all should maybe not should but a, as creatives we have the opportunity to just be there in social media or whatever every day and just be just like naughty at each other like we're passing in the on the you know the tread treadmills or whatever like yeah i i yep me too i'm there too i'm in the same place you are and no one is exempt no one is a magical butterfly doing everything awesome it's we're just uh, all trying to get by um and it, it hopefully things will get better but this is where we are right now so um don't be so hard on yourself i guess is is where i am right now and uh yeah that's what i'm feeling i i mean i'm lucky like for, for me being in australia right now like we don't have to deal with a lot of stuff that america is currently dealing with and, mm -hmm. and i have to say that every person in america has my absolute sympathy and support right now because my god y'all are playing on iron man mode as far as life goes right now and it's like oh, no, no you don't deserve that yeah well thank it's, you it's that's very that's great to hear i appreciate that um it's good to have solidarity with with uh with you and you know we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna get through this one way or the other it might be ugly and it might be bad but it might it maybe not but regardless of how it goes we're gonna get through this there's there's another there's a backside to all of this that there's an outcome um and i feel like it's really volatile right now and i i don't know how it's going to play out in the next few months it's going to be potentially really really tough but um i just don't see it as an end point it's it's a that something comes later so you know we have to keep moving forward and keep keep creating and keep being supportive of each other and and get through it somehow yeah absolutely um john people should look you up on the internet they should definitely buy your things so you can make more cool things um as and whenever you can however you can because look my engagement with the things that you've made has been really good um and i <laughs> want to you. say thank you for that thank you, you know, um John, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, John underscore Harper, J-O-H-N underscore Harper. And johnharper.itch.io is where my games live. Uh, if you want printed books, you can go to evilhat.com. Uh, they're my publisher. They make gorgeous printed books that you can't see on the podcast that are over my shoulder right now. Uh, and and I can confirm they are gorgeous. <laughs> they're very pretty. Um yeah, hit me up on Twitter if you want. I, I am one of those people that um, is not afraid of ignoring anyone, so you're not going to put any pressure on me if you send me a question or whatever. Uh, feel free. Anytime of the day or night, uh, I will answer. I, I won't. That, that, that's just my prerogative, but it, it, won't, it won't hurt my feelings if you, if you want to do that. So uh, I'm, I want to be and, engaged. And like, all my interactions with you have been very, very delightful. So, you know, same. Well, yes, you're delighted, this is, yeah, my friend. This has been great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Th thank you so much um, for playing my game. And, and no, thank you. 
and and also giving cool feedback thing. like it's it's super cool to hear to hear what people think of it um i i of course can be heard at nerdy people d and d um i'm going to echo a lot of what john said please take care of yourselves please love yourselves it's not it is not fun it is not good it is not great but it's going to get better Cool. Everyone, have a lovely everything you can. John, thank you again. Thank you.